Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Gospel Saving Church. Praise God. I'm so glad you're here. Whether you're actually in Gospel Saving Church today or you're listening to us on SoundCloud or via podcast or wherever and however, all over the world, uh, did you know that by doing so, you're showing God that He's important to you today? For, the, for Jesus said, it's those that do the things which I say that love me. And we know that God's will is for us to be in church, not just in a group of people, but actually in church, for that is the whole New Testament thrust is toward the church. There's no lone soldiers in the church. So if you're here and you're listening and you're being a part of what we're doing here, then you're showing God that he's important to you today. If this is your first time, listen to me. Hello, I'm Pastor Ed, and I come to you from McKinney, Texas, and this is Gospel Saving Church on our weekly broadcast of truth from God's Word. All right, well, we always start with a word of prayer. If you guys would join me, I would surely appreciate it because we need God's help to understand His Word. As we know that the Bible says that only the Holy Spirit can help us understand. So if you join me, please. Thank you so much, dear God, for your Word. Thank you so much, Lord God, for bringing us here. Thank you so much, Lord God, for your love and your great mercy. As I prayed just even before service, Lord God, as we were having our communion today, I, I, I just thanked you, Lord, and I'm going to thank you again, Lord, that of as little that we know about you, that you've revealed to us about yourself, the thimbleful, Lord, that we know about you, Lord God. I thank you that what you have told us, what you thought important to tell us from your word was your love, was your compassion, was your mercy, and then your judgment, of course, if we reject all those other things. Of course, we can't forget about your judgment. But Lord, first, you desire your mercy and grace and your sacrifice for us, Lord God, and that we would accept those things and turn to you. So I just thank you, Lord God, for those aspects of yourself that you've let us know about you. And I just pray that you'd help us, Lord, today. Help us to understand your word by your Holy Spirit, Lord, for we know that's the only way we can understand your word. And help us, Lord God, keep our minds free of distractions, Lord. Keep our environments free of distractions, Lord God. Help us to listen to the message all the way through and not think about what we have to do after church today or not think about, you know, what we're doing later on today or that movie we're watching tonight or anything else, Lord God. Help us to have our minds fixed on your word and the things that your word says to us today. Thank you so much, Lord God. And we love you and we praise you and we ask all these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen. So you can turn to Acts chapter 1, verses 21 through 26, for that's where we're going to be today. But I won't read them over until after my thoughts from last week's message, some seeming contradictions. So last week we talked about how Peter stood up to make an announcement to the about 120 followers, faithful followers, I should say, of Jesus Christ, that they were going to need a replacement for Judas, for remember, he killed himself and he had, uh, was remorseful over his betrayal of Jesus and Jesus Christ being murdered. And with Judas gone, there were only 11 disciples. And remember what I said, that God wanted 12 disciples, for that's how he led Christ to do it initially. And so if God wants something to be a certain way, then he makes it a certain way and that he wants it to be. And he has his reasons for doing that, and that's good enough for me, and I'll praise God in that. And that was one of the contextual understandings of those verses that we studied last week and uh, that I taught you about. But that's not where I stopped. The Lord led me to go a little bit deeper. Lord put it on my heart to go uh, a, a couple levels deeper and to give you one of the deeper and more difficult understandings of the scriptures that we had studied over last week. Not just of Acts 118, but 
of Matthew 27, 3 through 5, and Acts 1, 18, and, and all the difficult things that we're to understand there about the seeming contradictions around the, the, the things of Judas's death, right? These scriptures seem to give us two different ideas of how Judas died and some property that he had acquired, you know, supposedly before he died or as he died, or so I'm not going to ruin it for you. You can go back and listen to the message if you want to to find out the seeming contradictions. But the whole idea is where... The, that's where the whole idea, the title of the sermon came from, Seeming Contradictions, because uh, as you look at Matthew 27 and Luke 1.18, there seems to be contradictions in how Judas died in this land that he bought. But were there really? Well, we went and we investigated and we dig some, dug some layers deep, and did we find contradictions? We found no contradictions. But again, we had to dig deep into God's Word, even into forensic medical science, to figure out the truth. And the answers weren't pleasing to the ear to hear, and they weren't, you know, easy to listen to, but we found them. But I mentioned that in God's Word, there are many seeming contradictions. I mean, throughout the Word of God, there are many contradictions that seem to be contradictions. There's not real contradictions, but they seem to be contradictions. But I told you that with some digging deep into God's word and seeking him for his help and in truth, there are answers for them all and there's no contradictions anywhere. Well, me and a fellow after church were talking about this same thing right after church, right? And we talked about why God even allowed seeming contradictions in his word, right? I mean, because he could have literally had none. He could have literally said, it's not going to even, nothing's even going to be, every word would be, you know, but he didn't. There's many seeming contradictions. So why did God allow so many seeming contradictions in his word? Well, you see, the Lord God is testing every person on the planet to see what you'll do, what we'll do, if or when, or I should say when, because you're going to do it if you research it out, or if you talk to people, you're going to find what seem to be contradictions in his word. And you're going to see these things, and then he wants to see if you're going to seek him and the truth of the matter, or if you're just going to believe those seeming contradictions, and if you're going to doubt God and his word. And of course, if you doubt God and you doubt his word, are you really going to follow him? Absolutely not. You're going to Not believe in him if you doubt him. But what are you going to do? Shall your heart be strong towards God? Even if you're an unbeliever. I was an unbeliever at one time, an atheist at one time, and I was a total unbeliever, right? But I I made my heart strong towards, if there was a God, to seek out to see if there was a God. And then he revealed himself to me, and here I am today, almost 18 years later, but nonetheless... God's seeking you, to, you know, wanting to see if you'll seek to see what you'll do with his word. If you'll throw it away, oh, that's just a joke. Or if you'll go, is it really? Let me search it out. Let me see. Is it really? The Bible says, according to God, in this same kind of context, Second Chronicles 16.9, God says this, or the Bible says this of God. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. And that means that not necessarily a Christian being loyal to God, serving God, but somebody really wanting to know who God is and putting their efforts toward coming, you know, trying to seek out and come to know know who God is. And then in that, your heart kind of becomes strong towards him. 
if you do seek God and show him your hearts or your hearts or your hearts are strong towards him, then he sees it and of course he responds to our seeking or your seeking to help us or you find him. Sadly though, in our world, most people don't do this. Instead, they do what Paul writes about in Romans 1.18 where he says that many people suppress the truth in unrighteousness. They see a seeming contradiction and instead of, instead of going deeper into it, they just say, oh yeah, they just dismiss it and say, oh yeah, whatever, fraud God. But everybody's going to know one day when we die. Everybody shall know who was right and who was wrong and if there was a God and if there was not a God. And you're going to find out. So I want to ask you, which one are you? today? Is your heart strong toward God when you see those seeming contradictions come your way? Or do you, yeah, just dismiss it away and, yeah, whatever, and, you know, I'll just figure it out someday, or, um, you know, there's no God, or whatever. Which one are you? Remember Second Chronicles 16.9. God is watching and waiting for you to do something to seek Him out, whether you're going to seek the truth of Him or a truth of Him, or whether you're just going to dismiss Him away and let it all go. Which one are you? Second Chronicles, Second Chronicles 16.9. Remember that. All right. Well, let's switch gears, get into our new sermon for today, shall we? The title of our sermon today is The Selection Process. The Selection Process. We're going to read over Acts 1, 21 through 26, and we're going to actually finish off the first chapter of our book of Acts and uh, next week we'll have our we'll have a special Christmas message, of course. So this will be the last chapter for we won't get to chapter two for two weeks. But let's read over verses twenty one through twenty six in Acts one to finish it off. Peter continues to say, "I'm just going to jump right in. I'm not going to go before it." Uh, he says, "Therefore, of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to the day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. And they proposed two. Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell that he might go to his own place. And they cast their lots and the lot fell on Matthias and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. So remember, just bringing it up again, Peter and the original 11 apostles had to pick a new apostle because Judas killed himself. He was remorseful for, you know, uh, he, had, he was the real reason why Jesus got betrayed. And he was the real reason. He was the conduit by which Jesus ended up being murdered. It was all Judas that did it. So now we come to the point in time where they pick a new apostle, a replacement for Judas. And they must go through what we will call a selection or the selection process. That's where the title of the sermon came from. In a selection process, those who have the job of of selecting have to make the best decision they can and pick the person who is most qualified to replace the one that left. It's logical, right? It's using logic. See a hole one makes when they leave or get fired? Fill the hole with the best and most qualified candidate to do so. And we see right here that in the first two verses of our section, Peter gives us the qualifications that the new candidate of apostle must meet. I'm going to read them over real quick again, and then I'm going to dissect them. 
Verse 21 and 22 again. Therefore, of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to the day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness of his resurrection. Peter doesn't exactly give us how many people that were you know, we're up for the position, the open position of apostle, but he sure did tell us what type of qualifications the candidate must have met. What are they? Number one, found in the very first part of verse, uh, of our first verse 21, we read, he says there, therefore of these men. That's important. Remember back in verses 13 and 14 of the same chapter, Luke records how the original 11 apostles returned from watching Christ ascend to heaven and go into an upper room or kind of a small apartment, because there was 120 people there, where they were staying or living. And it says in verse 14, These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So out of these about 120 people in this upper floor apartment, there were both faithful men and faithful women of Christ along, along, everybody was all there together. Yet, here we read that Peter says the first qualification of the faithful disciple that was going to fill Judas's position of open apostle must be a man. Look at it again. Verse 21. You see it there? I, I didn't actually, I've been reading book Acts for a long time. I'd never saw that. Therefore, of these men. Notice he didn't say, therefore of those whom are gathered with us, referring to everyone that was there. He said, therefore of these men. That's clear, you say, but why? Why did Peter say the new apostle had to be a man and not a woman? Seems kind of sexist, you may be saying. Well, because a woman, biblically, was not an option for apostle. And I'll say it again. A woman was not biblically an option for a person becoming an apostle. Now, if you're a woman and you're offended and angry at what I just said and ready to shut me off mentally or walk out on me if you're here in church today, or literally shut me off as you go to click that red X at the top of the internet, just just stop. I'm neither a sexist nor a woman hater, and neither were the disciples or the apostles in this selection uh, process. But if they weren't, Why did Peter say that it had to be a man? Well, because Peter knew that this new apostle that was going to take Judas' place was going to be one of the main figures and authorities of God's entire Christian church and in God's system of doing things and program for his church and how he made things. A woman was not allowed to be an authority over a man, period, the end. The man was made to be the leader. Outside of Peter saying this, Paul also chimes in on this idea as well. 1 Timothy 2.12 And I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man, but to be in silence. And that would be, of course, in being ruling over the church. Because, 1 Corinthians 11, 2-3, Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I deliver them to you. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. So overall, the the, the chain of command, Christ is over man. And then he says, the head of every woman is man. Then under the man is the woman. And then the head of Christ, of course, is God. So it's God, Christ, Christ, man, man, woman. Okay? Because Paul, again, 1 Timothy 2.13 And 14, for Adam was formed first, then Eve, 
And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. You see, God made man first and woman second. And as the woman was first to sin, bringing man into transgression, God says that man is the leader of the woman, not the other way around, and especially in his church. And apostles, why a woman could not be considered for apostle, uh, and apostles are the major authorities and leaders over all men, women, and children in God's church. That's what apostles are. And since a woman is not to be an authority over a man, women are not allowed the status of apostle or even pastor for that matter in God's church, and his plan has not changed. It's December 18th, 2016, and the Word of God is the same yesterday and today, and it's going to be the same until forever. Until, you know, maybe God might take it away at some point, but I don't know. I don't think so. I think it's going to be forever. Even in heaven, we're going to be able to go look at the Bible, and the words are going to be there. And God hasn't changed, and neither has His Word, and, and, we don't, and God doesn't run by society. God doesn't let society rule what he said. He says this, and God's plans don't change just because man's environment and man's plans and man's societies have changed. Many have fallen away from this today. Many, in fact, many that would listen to this message would would say, I'm a heretic because I'm not going by what this, this society says. And how dare I say, you know, women are equal to men. And well, that... I love my wife and I love women, but the Bible says that the man is to be the ruler. And I've had many conversations about this, and I've even had many conversations about this with women. And I, and I, I just talked to a woman just a week or two ago, and I, I made the statement, I made this statement. I said, I think men have it harder. Good, godly men. Now, I'm not talking about men that abuse their wives or take advantage of their wives or take adva- advantage of the man being the leader of the household. I'm talking about good, godly men. For God gives the man the responsibility to love their wives as Christ loved the church and to lay down their lives for her. All a woman is to do is to be abiding and just to, to you know, obey her husband or the man's direction in, in the church or in, in their marriage. And, and the man loving the wife like Christ loves the church is way harder than just being obedient to, hey, something he says. Again, as long as you're a good godly man and not a, you know, not a, a, what I would call a scumbag of a man that would abuse his wife or take advantage of his wife. And, you know, that, that to me, that's not a godly man. And to me, I, I would say that the woman should leave if, you know, they're doing that and, Nevertheless, anyway, uh, so don't, don't turn me off. I'm not a sexist. I'm just saying here that Peter said the first uh, qualification of the new guy, we'll call him, is literally that he is a new guy. Well, what does Peter say next? Look at the rest of verse 21. This new guy was also to have accompanied us, he says, or them, all the time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. So he's saying that the number two qualification this new guy had to have was that he would have had to have been staying with Jesus and the disciples all the time that he was following them and not have gone in and out. So he, he couldn't be at work today and, and not at work tomorrow. He had to be a faithful follower of Christ all the time that the disciples were with Jesus. Uh, none of this, I quit today and you know I'll come back in a week or two because it's getting too hard. This guy had to be a faithful, diligent follower of Christ the whole entire time that Jesus was ministering. 
If you remember, you say, well, that maybe not was hard. Well, yes, it was. If you remember, there was a time in uh, John 6 in Jesus' ministry when the people who were following him heard some things that he taught and they were offended at what he said and they forsook him. Uh, if you remember, Jesus was talking to the Pharisees and the, and, the, and the religious leaders about how if you eat my flesh and if you drink my blood, and of course he, was being, he wasn't being literal because then nobody would be able to be saved, right? How can I eat the skin of Jesus today? He, he's, he's long gone in the flesh. He's, he's resurrected in a new heavenly body. Now, he's, he's not even down here, but Jesus says, if you don't eat my flesh or drink my blood, you shall have no part in me. And well, there's still people to this day that make a wicked doctrine out of the idea of the literal eating of Jesus' body and drinking of Jesus' blood, but nevertheless, that's not what Jesus was saying. Jesus was saying, that he wanted us to take communion and that not that they were literally his body and literally his blood, but that they represented him. But nevertheless, some, some of his disciples that he had with him, uh, John six sixty six, after Christ taught this, for, for that at that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. And of course, uh, we know that they left at that time, but we can't say for sure that they didn't come back Right, And these that didn't follow him anymore didn't return to the ranks of the disciples after they saw him resurrect, right? after they saw him walking amongst the land of the living again, after he was supposedly dead for 40 days and 40 nights where he would go in and out amongst his disciples. Uh, we can't say for sure that these that left stayed away for good, and, and especially after they saw him raised from the dead. And of course, if they would have come back to the fold, God would have been gracious and kind to let them come back in and still have saved them. Just look how God was gracious and, and merciful with the original 11 who all forsook him in the garden. All of his original 11 whom are right here picking the new guy and Peter saying, hey, these have had to be the ones that went, you know, that stayed in and out. And even they at one point all left Christ in the garden. And when they return, Christ welcomed that back in, and he, of course, he saved them, and, and, and then there, now they are, here they are, the original founders of the church. So thanks be to God, he is a God of second chances. If anyone has turned away and forsaken him, he gives more than one chance to make it right with him. While we're in the land of the living, that is. Many people mistake that. Once we die, the choice that we've made to either forsake Christ or accept Christ or turn to Christ, that's stuck for forever. There's no such thing that the Bible talks about purgatory. There's no such thing about, oh, well, you know, after I'm burning away for, for a thousand years in hell, then, then I get a chance to go because my family's praying for me or whatever. No, no, no. The Bible says it is appointed to man to die once and then the judgment. And then whatever you're judged, whatever decision you made in life, that's a decision you live with for all eternity. Whether you die for all eternity in hell or whether you live in heaven for all eternity with God and angels. But saying all that about second chance, getting back here for salvation and coming back to God's fold while alive doesn't mean that the men that forsook Christ in his ministry, though they may have returned, they weren't in for the running of this new apostle to replace Judas here, as Peter just said here. As Peter just said, the one that was to replace uh, uh, Judas had to be with them the entire time, not going and coming, not having sick days, you know, not just continuing to be and, and walk with Jesus and the disciples the entire time that he ministered here. 
Um, what is the specific time period? There is a huge gold nugget here that God showed me in this scripture that I had never seen before in almost 17 years of, of reading his word. What is the specific period of time that Peter is telling us here that these faithful disciples had to be faithful to Jesus? Peter said earlier, hey, all the time that Jesus went in and out among us, meaning the time that, you know, they kind of were with him and so on and so forth. What is the specific time? This is really cool. I hope you enjoy this one. Look at verse 22. Beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So, wow. The men who were to be considered for the open position of apostle had to not only have never left Christ and other disciples during his ministry, but they had to have stayed true to him from the time John baptized him until he ascended into heaven in Acts 1-9 being a witness of his resurrection, right? That's pretty crazy, right? Did you know? Did did you know what Peter just said? Because I didn't. The new guy had to be faithful to Christ and the disciples from John's baptism until Christ ascended. And when Peter says, of course, John's baptism, nobody followed him right after his baptism. Because if you remember, Jesus went into the wilderness for some time to let the devil tempt him, and then he came back from. But from that point, from the time he returned from the wilderness. He had more than just the 12 following him. That is pretty crazy. I think it's an awesome gold nugget. How's that possible, you may be saying? Pastor Ed, I think that you're reading that wrong. Well, we know that there were multitudes that saw Christ get baptized by John. For that's what the Bible tells us. Matthew 3, 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Now, 5 and 6 I'm just skipping some stuff because it talked about John. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. And right in the midst of these multitudes, because that's when you're talking a whole region and you're talking two whole cities, that's just not five or ten people. That's multitudes of people. That's hundreds and thousands of people, right? And right in the midst of these multitudes around John, and he's baptizing people, Matthew 3.13, then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. So, there were so many that saw him get baptized, and obviously, according to Peter here, there were not, or there were more than just the twelve that followed after Christ after his baptism and his return from the wilderness. And in his ministry, when he went around and he he was doing miracles and saving people and, and you know feeding people and healing people and all that stuff. And if you doubt it, if you doubt it, because I did, I, I thought, man, Lord. Really, am I reading this right? Am I reading that there were really more that followed you than the 12? If you doubt, after as I was doubting, God flooded my mind with other scriptures. It was just amazing. I had never seen this before. Holy Spirit just filled my mind with other scriptures. But just one, if you doubt that there were more than the 12 that followed Jesus. Look at this. Luke 6, 12-13. We know it so well, except we don't know this aspect of it. Luke records this. Now it came to pass in those days that he, would be Jesus, went out to the mountain to pray. And he continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called, listen, his disciples to himself. And listen, from them he chose twelve 
whom he also named apostles. Well, I had written a big, long thing out on this, but one really easy way to realize that there were more than just the 12 there, you don't choose 12 men from 12 men. If there's only 12 men, you don't pick 12 men from 12 men. Who knows how many men that there were and women and all that, but nevertheless, Jesus had more people that followed him than just the original 12. And there were people that followed him, according to Peter here, and Peter was one of the originals, that followed him right when he came back from the wilderness after he was baptized and after he was tempted by the devil. Wow. Anyway, I thought that was a pretty darn cool fact, if you ask me, because I did find it pretty cool. I, I had been reading the Bible for years, and I had never realized, wait a minute, there were other people that followed Jesus other than the 12 right from the wilderness experience? You don't read about them. Why don't you? But you don't. But you read about them right here. And you read about them when he prayed and asked God to, you know, which ones I should choose. And God was like, yeah, we'll choose these 12 from them. Well, there were more there. Anyway, getting back. From this group of about 120 people, a guy had to be picked to replace Judas. And he had to be a faithful, consistent follower of Christ who had stayed with Jesus and his disciples from the time John the Baptist baptized Jesus until he was resurrected the entire time because they had to be witness to all of this and was witness to resurrection also without having turned away from him not one time. Again, Peter doesn't tell us how many guys there were for the open position of apostle, but with those requirements, there could have been many. Because there are some pretty deep, these were, if you ask me, some pretty deep and pretty harsh requirements for anybody to have lived up to. I mean, they were pretty high expectations. Um, but they do. They find two. Verse 23. And they proposed to Joseph called Barsabbas, who was sur- surnamed Justice, and Matthias. There were probably a few more, but from the whole group, think about this, of about 120 people, they only picked two. Joseph and Matthias. These were some very dedicated disciples for sure. Think about it. These guys were found Christ right after he came back from the wilderness. They hopped on board, even though the Bible doesn't record about them, or record them. And even though they get no billing in the Bible, even though the, the, nothing was written about them, they weren't really concerned about that. They were just, who is, is this the word of life? Is this, is this the Messiah? And they followed him. And they stayed with him. And they stayed consistent with him the whole time. And they found only two that they were willing to give the mantle to of Judas, which was uh, Joseph and Matthias. Uh, anyway, so now that Pe- uh, Peter and the other apostles have done their due diligence in picking two of the most dedicated disciples to fill Judas' open position, What's their next step? Look at verses 24 and 25. He says this, They prayed and they said, O Lord, you know the hearts of all. Show which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. Well, what did they do after they do their due diligence? They prayed. There is a saying, Hey, I do everything I can in the flesh, and then I give it to God in the spiritual. And this is what they did. They didn't just randomly pick this, or, oh, let's just uh, uh, let's close our eyes and blindfold and walk the first guy I touch. And then, or, or they didn't just sit back and say, hey, this is who I think we're going to pick. Um, let me think, what does the so-and-so say to me? No. 
What do they do? They did their due diligence. They, they studied diligently these lives of these men, and they found two of the most dedicated disciples other than these other original 11 disciples. And then they prayed, and they after they handpicked these these guys according to faithfulness and consistency, they hand, and then they prayed to ask God for his guidance. Asking God for his guidance in every decision, especially decision, uh, big decisions, is always the wisest thing that any and every Christian could ever do. And here, Peter and the apostles, uh, trying to fill Judas's open position, apostle, which was a super important decision. Important note, Peter and others didn't just go ahead and do something for God here and then just ask him to bless their decision. People do that often. People do, I'm going to just go do that. I just think that's what God wants me to do. And then once they're in it and they're in the mess of it, then they're going, oh God, please, Lord, this ain't going on. Please bless my thing that I did here because I'm, I'm failing. This isn't right. And, but that's not what they did. No, they did what was super biblical. And remember, God wanted 12 apostles because that's how he led Christ originally to do it. And obviously, we know that Peter heard from God. And so God led Peter and the other apostles by his wisdom of his Holy Spirit. And, and their selection process was very scrutinizing. And, and the requirements were very strict to pick someone to fill Judas's open spot, which needed to be done. I think it's important. I've heard people say that, you know, maybe they shouldn't have picked Matthias. You, didn't, you don't hear about him in the rest of the Bible. And, some people think that um, Paul should have been the, the 12th apostle and that they should have waited. But I think it's funny that the people say that. But yet, right here, shortly after, in two weeks, we're going to read that now that everything was right, you could say, the 12 were there. There was 12, exactly what Christ wanted. Then they get the baptism of the fire of the Holy Spirit. Would that have happened had God's 12 not been there because that's what God ordained was 12. And we know Paul from there, he wasn't saved till a while after this. He wasn't saved like tomorrow or in the next week. He was saved a while from this. And, you know, I, w- I would think that at least for, in my life, God does things when the cards are absolutely right. And I don't mean cards like in a mystic way. When he's got everything lined up in my life like it's supposed to be lined up, then things happen the way he wants them to happen. He, he doesn't thrust something upon me that I can't handle. He makes sure everything's right before he thrusts something upon me, right? And here, the disciples, hey, they had picked the 12, and then, boom, the day of Pentecost, and then the, the holy tongues of fire, and then they're speaking in tongues, and then the great day, and then they go off from there, and they start spreading the gospel. I think that this is absolutely the choice that they should have made to pick an apostle. They made a wise decision on who they picked. Now, After they prayed, what did they do next? And I sound condescending here because I'll tell you why. Something They do something here next that we never read of them doing the entire rest of the recorded New Testament history of the church. Last verse of today, verse 26. And they cast their lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. They do something that they called casting lots. Strong's Concordance defines this as this. The lots of several persons concerned inscribed with their names. So this would be like a piece of paper or this would have been like a stick of wood or something would have had the names of the people that they were casting their lots for. And these two names here in this case on the, let's say, a little piece of bark wood or something were put in a vase, which was then shaken. And whose name fell out first on the ground? Well, that's the name that they chose. That's the name that was chosen, which means that these guys essentially put the two names of these guys in a glass jar, 
dumped it out, and the name which fell out first on the ground was the winner, winner, chicken dinner, which was Matthias. Uh, this would be equivalent of, you know, giving a couple guys a straw, and then whoever chose the short, short straw, he, he was the one that did it. Now, this practice was huge in the Old Testament, but not in the New Testament. And I believe it's most likely because under the new te- in the New Testament, under the New Covenant, they, people then, people now, under the New Covenant, had God's Holy Spirit living within them. Okay, unlike in the Old Testament where God would just come upon somebody with his Holy Spirit. We were just reading in, uh, of Samson last night in our family Bible time, how Samson came across and there was a lion that jumped on him and then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him and then he ripped the lion apart. Well, Samson wasn't born again, but when God had a will for him to do, God's Spirit, would, Holy Spirit would rush upon him and then he'd you know, become strong. And, but today, God's children are born again and sealed and saved by God's Holy Spirit. We have God's wisdom living inside of us. And I can tell you now that this casting lots, in my biblical authoritative position that God's put me in, and knowing the Bible as well as I do, is not something that Christians should do anymore. Uh, This is, again, the only time in the New Testament that we read of any Christian doing anything like this. Any Christian. Whether it be the apostles or whether it be the disciples, and you can do a word search on it. This is the only, only and last time of the New Testament that we read this recording. I don't consider this practice a godly one under the New Covenant because... When you have God's Spirit, Holy Spirit living within you, within a new believer or within a believer, I personally think that the apostles uh, made a mistake in picking Matthias this way. I'm not condemning them for doing it. I just don't think that they should have done it this way. To me, it was disrespectful to God's Holy Spirit who wants to lead us and guide us every day. I, I think it was. I believe that since they had prayed and asked God for his guidance, that they should have waited for God to speak in his special way. As I just did just recently, I was asking God to, to show me a sign on something. And I, but then my flesh brain said, oh, there's no way God's going to show you a sign on that. It's not in the Bible. But then, boom, something happened. And God, well, that's the sign I was, I was looking for or, or something else could have happened. But then I think that they should have waited for God to speak in a special way through his Holy Spirit to them, of which the two that they chose, you know, that God would have chosen somebody else and I I just don't know if he would have and I'm not sure you know maybe God had his will here I just think that they didn't go about it the right godly way saying all that again I don't condemn them for doing it because they as we but especially they for they had no new testament written word of God they were learning all this stuff as they went along day by day moment by moment and since we don't, but one thing that leads me to the idea that this wasn't a, something God wanted them to do, we, that we don't read about it anymore, it leads me to believe that after they did this, God like rebuked them or chastised them or disciplined them from, from doing it again. And that the way that they selected Matthias was not a way that they should have done it. And you see, in my life and other children of God's lives that I know, when a child of God does something he doesn't like or we sin, he lets us know and he kind of gives us a spanking. And makes us known, hey, I don't want you to do that anymore. And because they never did it again, that kind of leads me to believe that the Holy Spirit was like, ah, that's not really the way we want you to operate anymore, guys. I'm sorry, but, you know, that's just not the way it's done now. Okay, guys, I know that's what you're used to. I know that's what you saw the religious leaders do, and I know that's... But now, you know, it's, it's the new covenant. It's, it's Jesus, and you're born again now, and you got the Holy Spirit speaking with you, and I'm even going to talk to you sometimes, you know. And Anyway, um, today we covered quite a few different things. 
and, and in, any, in any selection process, as I went over today, there are different qualifications that a candidate must meet for a job. In this case, the position of apostle left by Judas needed a very special man who was very dedicated in his loyalty to Christ, following Jesus and his disciples the entire time he ministered, from his baptism in the Jordan or return from the wilderness to his ascension to heaven. Obviously, these are some extreme and harsh requirements, but the position of apostle demanded such as it is the first and one of the major keys to all of God's church, Ephesians 4.11. And he, God himself, gave some to be apostles. That's the first one God names off. And God's not going to put something in order that he doesn't think is important. It's first apostles, then prophets, then evangelists, and pastors and teachers. Um, The position of apostle is also very influential in the church. So Peter and the other apostles had to really be selective on who they picked to fill Judas's shoes. Personally, I think they used real wisdom to get down to the final two candidates, but in the end, as again, I think that they should have relied more on God speaking them through His Holy Spirit rather than casting lots. In my close to Christians, I want you to encourage you to be careful how you hear God today, especially today. Be careful how you hear God in Christ. Remember what the Apostle John said in 1 John 4, 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God. It can be really easy to think that you hear God, but unless you test the spirits whether they are of God, you will hear wrong sometimes, or maybe all the time, depending on who you are. You know, if you have a, a, a more of a, you know, kind of like a, like you were like Peter, kind of like me, I'm very impetuous. I kind of just jump. I, I don't, I, I just kind of jump sometimes instead of, wait, wait a minute, you know, let me think. You could be wrong a lot, if not all the time, depending on how careful you are to test the spirits when you're listening to God. How you, how do you test the spirits? How do you test the spirits? How do you know that you hear God? How do you know that you hear God's spiritual word? Well, there's one main way, and that's the Holy Bible. God's written word. Is what you heard what God said in his word? You know, I always go back to the famous quote I got from a co-worker years ago. I'm not going to give his name. He's no longer working with me. But a famous quote years ago, we were talking about the Bible and about Jesus a little bit. And he, he was just saying some pretty positive things. And I said, oh, that's cool, man. Well, where do you go to church? Oh, God told me I don't got to go to church. <laughs> what? Well, yeah, God told me, oh, you know, I'm this, that, and the other thing. And, I don't. and then I said, but sir, God's word says that Christian's supposed to be in fellowship and go to church. Well, it doesn't say, I said, and, and we got around to it, and as I talked to people about it today, as I mentioned earlier, there is no such thing as a lone soldier in the Bible. You got God writing to his children inside the church and to the elders and to the leaders and to the deacons. Well, you don't have that when you're just getting together with a guy for lunch or something. You don't have, you just, hey, well, we're going to talk about Jesus over lunch. That's church. Because, you know, the church, no, 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 because there's no, there's no pastor there. There's no leader there. There's no accountability there. You're just getting together with somebody talking about Jesus. That's fellowship. That's not church. Anyway, we need to hold what we hear up against God's written word. And one famous, I love the sermon I taught not too long ago, uh, uh, you know, the idea of what would Jesus do, which is, goes back to what would Jesus do? Where do we hear Christ? Where would you hear Christ? 
Well, you hear Christ in the written word, right? Would you hear Christ for sure in your head? Sorry. Would maybe you hear Christ for sure in your heart? Yeah, that's where you hear. Oh, wait a minute. Maybe you hear Christ casting lots. Yeah, let's just get a whole, let's get everybody's name in there. And, yeah, it's John. Oh, eh. you hear God in Christ for sure in God's written word. The written word is powerful. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, and we hear his Son in the Word of God, not in our hearts. He, God can speak to you like that, but if it's God speaking to you, it's going to be confirmed in God's Word. Anyway, I, I, I hate to you know pound it down your throats, Christians, but it's a big thing today because we got all these movements of all oh, the, the, oh, this, that, and the other thing and all these movements that are going against God's word and that people say they're of God's word and then they're not. So Christians got it? Good. I hope so. Now am I close to those who are listening to me today whom have strayed away and are backslidden away from Christ? Kind of like those I talked about today who forsook Jesus in John 6.66 after they were offended at some of Christ's teachings about himself. In preparing this message, I really felt like the Lord wanted me to say a word to you about how God is a God of second chances. Hallelujah. God is a God of second chances. I want you to know first and foremost that if you have turned back to a willful lifestyle of sin or a lifestyle of unbelief or walking in rebellion against Christ uh, and you're not walking with Christ anymore by faith and in holiness then the Bible says that you are in danger of hellfire. It's not a good thing. Uh, Peter in 2 Peter 2, 20-22 says this, For if, after you have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, speaking of a child of God that escaped the sin of this world through Christ their Savior, and they got saved, okay, they are again entangled in them and overcome them, meaning that sinful lifestyle, the latter end for them or for you is worse for them or for you than the beginning. For it would have been better for you not to have known the way of righteousness than have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to you. But it has happened to you according to the true proverb, a dog returned to his own vomit. Well, you can't turn from something that you're not part of something. They turned from the Holy Commandment. They had to be walking toward the Holy Commandment. They had to be walking in Christ to have turned away from Christ. So if, if you're there, then, then these are some harsh words from a very serious apostle, Peter, who even knew what it meant to turn away from Jesus himself, remember, in the garden. I talked about it today. So if this is you, you are not okay with God. And the Bible says that you've lost the covering of his blood for your sins, Hebrews 10. You can go look at it yourself. And if you were to die right now, the Bible says that you are on your way to hell. But saying all that, remember, I just told you there's good news. God is a God of second chances, right? He loves you so much and even paid the highest price for your sin on the cross. But 
you must turn back to him and you must repent. Now, repentance is not what a lot of people think it is. And you can go to Strong's yourself and, and you can look up the word repent. Not repentance, the word repent. And the word repent doesn't mean to turn away from your sin and live a righteous life and do the best you can to love God. It's having a heart change, a heart and mind change toward God. Hey, I have blown it. I'm on the wrong path. And you know what? Then that means that you turn toward Christ. It doesn't mean that you, oh, I'm going to start living a more righteous lifestyle right now. Oh, then, then, God, then, then, then God will save me. No, no, no. You turn to him and you surrender again to his lordship. And then from that, all that other good stuff will come. But you can't put the cart before the horse. You must repent today and turn your heart to Christ so that he can remove that veil as we read about how Paul talks about if we turn to Christ then he'll remove that veil and then you may be saved if you repent today and turn to the Lord with your whole heart again then he will take you back and make you clean again but you must turn back to him soon if not right now Christ died for your sins and wants you to be saved and have perfect fellowship with him now and spend the rest of eternity with him forever in heaven but that won't happen unless you turn back to him now and away from your rebellion away from your you're the lord of your life away from the hey it's my life and I run it the way I want you must repent today so I please, I hope, I hope and, and pray, and I'm going to pray right now for us all, and I'm going to pray that you do right now, because you could die any moment, and in rebellion, and you may not even think so. You may, oh, Pastor Ed, I was saved 30 years ago. It doesn't matter what. You're going to find out soon. You're going to find out soon, and I don't want you to find out the way you are right now. So I want you to turn to the Lord right now. Please trust me and repent right now and turn back to me if you've backslidden. So let's pray. Thank you so much, Lord for your word. Thank you so much for your grace. Thank you so much, Lord God, that I, as I mentioned today, Lord, you are a God of second chances. Lord, just because we may have turned away for a while, Lord, doesn't mean that you won't take us back. As again, you, you took the 11 original disciples back and there's nobody in this whole world that's known you like they've known you, Lord. Nobody in this whole world has walked with you in the human flesh for three and a half years, Lord, like they did. Plus, however many people here that they chose these two from today. Those people really know you and for them to fall away from you and for you to even forgive them and they were with you and they touched you and they drank with you and they ate with you and they saw you but we didn't have done any of that, Lord, for you to give them that kind of mercy and accept them back, Lord. You certainly will have that same kind of mercy on us for we have never seen you in that fleshly body, Lord. We have never drank with you like that or eaten with you like that. So, Lord... Thank you that you are a God of second chances. And I just pray, Lord, today for any out there, Lord God, that are listening, that have turned away from you. They have fallen back from following you, Lord. I pray, Lord God, that they would turn today again to you and repent and surrender to you again, Lord God, so that you may renew them in their faith and, and save them once again, Lord God. 
And for the Christians out there, Lord God, I, I, I pray, Lord God, that we would be really careful to do what Jesus did, Lord, to follow your written word, not just hear something in our heads and think, oh, that's you, God, and then just go out and do it. Lord, even when it goes against your word, I pray we do our due diligence as the disciples did to pick this next apostle, Lord. They use real wisdom. I pray we use your real wisdom, Lord, to decide uh, what, what is from you and what is not from you so that we wouldn't go casting lots for things that we think are okay to do or maybe that we're just going to put these decisions in there and then just hope maybe it's of you. Lord, help us all. Lead us and guide us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, Lord. Amen.